Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, giving updates and staff meetings, part one. Here we go. is a career tools cast, but a manager tools, we recommend that every manager have a weekly staff meeting, right? That one-on-ones and staff meetings are the two meetings that we recommend that every manager has. And the staff meeting, it's part of socializing a team, right? In these meetings, each direct gets 10 minutes to brief the rest of the team on what they have have going on. And that does a lot in terms of socializing for the team. Yeah. And look, it's more than that. It's not just socializing. It is, that is part oh, sure. of it. Yeah. But often managers and, and other folks on the team, they discount right that, right? I mean, they, they don't recognize that that is an important function, not the only function and, and maybe not even the most important one, but an important function of staff meetings. You're absolutely right. And um, I think managers, we get so many questions about, oh, good. If I do one-on-ones and I don't need to do a staff meeting. And it's, no, first of all, that presupposes that at the staff meeting you've been doing now, you think you're building relationships and you're not. You don't build relationships in groups. You just don't. Relationships are between two individuals. And so one-on-ones are designed to build relationships because work comes from individuals and relationships help work, work output, productivity. But the team meeting is, is about the team. And it's also primarily about communication. Rather than me, if I'm the manager, and you, if you're a direct, rather than us telling everybody one time, and so having to say it 10 times, the ability to communicate to a group saves everybody a bunch of time. And like it or not, there are so many managers who also say to us, well, all of my people do different stuff. So therefore, you know, they don't really work together. So therefore, we don't need to talk. I'd say, nah, right? And what's funny is, The other group goes, oh, all my people do the same thing. So really, all we're doing is adding up everybody's productivity. So we don't really need to talk. I'm like, gee, which is it? You know, what I hear when I hear two managers coming to me saying that is both of those managers share a common interest in not talking to their directs. And then they make up a reason for it, which is about how the work is being done or what kind of work is being done. Uh, But look, folks, if you don't want to talk to your directs, then you probably aren't going to be a great manager. You probably aren't even going to be a good manager because relationships and communication are two of the cores of what will make you very good or great. And so a staff meeting, a one one hour or a 90 minute staff meeting is absolutely essential to uh, the normal functioning of a team. Yeah. Okay. So that's important from a manager's perspective, but what if you're not a manager? What if you're a direct? What then? What? How should we be thinking about staff meetings in, in that case? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good question. I mean, speaking in meetings, being able to be a good presenter. You and I have talked before about how we're embarrassed about the presentations we see, frankly. Speaking in meetings is a key part of demonstrating your strengths of being a professional. And, of course, if you do it well, that makes you look good, and that leads to promotions and um, more ability to impact the organization, which is a good thing. So, it's look, this is important to get it right. We have five recommendations. Number one, you've got to prepare why people don't prepare for meetings, I don't know. And it's not because they're busy, because you're going to be busy no matter what you do. I know people who have been at a job a week and don't really know the details, but they're busy immediately. And Parkinson's law always keeps us busy. Number two, you've got to put the bottom line up front when you start talking. 
Number three, we've got some recommendations about the content that you present on. And um, the thing that people miss is their accomplishments. That's the first bit of content. And the second thing you want to talk about is collaboration, things you can help others with or things you are helping others with. And then lastly, things you need help with, things you're behind on or things you need input for and so on. And number four and five are just two presentation reminders. Number one, uh, number four is speak up and number five is posture. Look, you, you have to speak up. You can't just mumble. You can't just speak as if you're sitting down. Of course, if you're standing up and you have to stand up and stand up like you intend to be in charge of the room when you're speaking, because when you're speaking, you are in charge of the room, even if your boss is in the room. Yep. Good. Okay. So now let's talk about preparation, folks. <laughs> yes, you need to prepare. Like we know that these, these things go through life cycles, right? We know what happens with weekly meetings, especially if it's just with your team, right? The first few times, you know, you don't know quite what's going on, what's, what's happening. And so we know we need to be prepared, right? So we do a little bit extra work. The next right. few times, we're the new boy or the new girl on the team. And so it's naturally we want to impress folks. So we prepare. Sometimes, though, we become comfortable in the meeting. Eh, usually, I don't know, Mark, I don't know about you, but my experience about six months or something around that time frame. Yeah, I and think then, that's right. And then we start to think of it as a burden, right? The meeting's a burden. Oh, no, the flipping staff meeting coming up. And guess what? Preparation becomes shorter and shorter and shorter until almost or just next to non-existent. That's how it works. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have gone as long as six months. I know people who, within a month, aren't preparing for a staff meeting. They know what they got to talk about. They got a couple of things in their head, and they mention a couple of things off the top of their head. And then they're surprised when we tell them later, boy, we just don't see that many good speakers in our travels around to all the organizations we visit. Uh, you know, there, there are times where even somebody who knows they're supposed to be prepared, that they have off days. But look, the people who are effective – the folks that others think of as a professional who sound good, um, who present well, are prepared. Okay. The people you admire and the people that get ahead never stop trying, never stops putting the extra five, 10, 15 minutes into meeting preparation. This goes right along with our recommendation in the cast about pre-wires, right? We gave guidance that you, you, when you see a slam dunk presentation, it is because the work was done before and everybody in that meeting who's being presented to has already heard all the ideas, already had a chance to, to uh, vet them and to give their input. And essentially, everybody has chopped to it and said it's okay. And so, therefore, it's, it's a done deal. When the presentation happens is almost the aftermath of the decision. It's, it's a visual decision when everybody goes, yeah, I'm for this. But in fact, it's already done well in advance. And that's the kind of preparation that makes for effective management and leadership. We're not suggesting that every single meeting is a, is a, requires pre-wires all the time. But the folks who are effective at meetings that you see being effective, what you're seeing is the end result of their professionalism, not who they are as a professional because they speak well. Uh, speaking well takes time to get ready. I, Mike, you and I have been talking recently about uh, we're getting more and more custom requests from clients, right? And um, it takes me a long time to put together a day, a day long presentation. It takes me a month often working in bits and pieces because you have to prepare to make sure when you get in front of a group, it's going to be effective. 
And now there are people out there who go, yeah, okay, but staff meeting is a recurring thing. It's a regular thing. It's, it's fairly straightforward. The agenda is set. The, you know, the, the, the culture is set. The, the feel of the meeting is set. But look, really good managers and really good professionals don't let the fact that it's just our team, that, that kind of thinking become an excuse not to prepare and not to take the meeting seriously. They have goals for every meeting they attend. They think in advance. Oh yeah, I need to talk to X about Y. I need to talk to Y about Z and so on. Each week they give themselves a very short analysis of their performance, whether or not they achieve their goals. And this is not hard. It's not an hour of preparation for an hour long meeting. Look, think about this scenario. An executive comes to your manager and says, I like what I've seen of Joe. What's your opinion? Right? Do you think he's ready to be promoted? What do you think? Do you want your manager to reply like this? You know, Joe's good. He works really hard to look good in your meetings, but he doesn't apply that kind of diligence all the time. When it's just the team, he's a bit lackadaisical. I can't recommend him yet, right? Not digging that. (laughs) Yeah. Or think of something differently. The executive comes down and says, hey, I've seen, you know, I like what I've seen in Joe. When I'm working with him, he seems like he's got his stuff together. What's your opinion? He says, yeah, the guy's good. He says, well, you know what? Let me come see him in his own element, right? Let's take away the added uh, bonus of him knowing he's going to be talking to his boss's boss. Let's see how he does in a meeting. And you don't know that the executive is coming to the meeting. And so you don't prepare. And in the staff meeting, your briefing looks just like everybody else's. In fact, somebody else that this executive hasn't worked with looks pretty sharp. Like he goes away and goes, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't super impressed because probably the executive is saying, if this person's going to work for me, I don't want to promote him unless I really believe they can do the job that's one level up. And so I'm going to apply the 150% rule, which is, gosh, as a manager, you're going to have to run meetings and speak all the time. So therefore, he didn't really do all that well. Maybe I ought to wait a little bit. And you know what? Let me, let me give my direct, Joe's boss, six months to shape him up in terms of presentation skills. Well, in six months, there may or may not be a role that's open. Right. Um, That's the danger you're courting when you don't prepare. Okay. And from the other side, you're missing an opportunity. There's an opportunity in your boss's staff meeting to practice your meeting behaviors. You can practice speaking in front of a group. You can practice being persuasive. You can be seen to be supportive of your team. You can be seen to be listening well. You don't have to tell anyone what you're working on. You just have to work on it. So what do you prepare? Obviously, you prepare thinking about the content, which we'll talk about just a little bit, and the people who are going to be at the meeting. Content, again, we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's accomplishments, collaboration, and help. And then the people, you go around the room and think about what are you working with that relates to them? What might you brief relative to them that would be helpful or not? If there's anything you're going to say that it could be in any way deleterious to anybody else in the meeting, you make sure you let them know about that in advance and you talk to them about how they may want you to spin it a little bit. This is the kind of preparation, worrying about your content and about your relationships to other people in the room that makes you, you know, it takes 15 or 20 minutes. And what you get is much better outcome. And you look notably better, particularly when there is an executive in the room. Exactly. Good. Okay. Let's talk about bluff. Now, we've talked about bluff before. It stands for bottom oh, line gosh. up front. We, we must have mentioned on career tools, and I, I know we have on manager tools many, many times. And our recommendation is that you use this method when you're giving updates, right? So bluff right. is simply a way of reminding ourselves that when we speak, or when we write for that matter, 
Start with the important part and then work backwards from there. The important part can be an accomplishment. It can be what you need help with or what you can help somebody else with. You know, some of us, that's the way we think, right? We just automatically put stuff up front. Yeah, it, it, certainly, is, it certainly is the way I think, partly because I've been dealing with executives for so long that there are very few executives who want stories, who want drama. And I've said this before, I'm sure I'll say it a thousand more times in my life. This whole meme of presentations is drama and you, do, you draw people in with a great story. That might be good at, a, at an industry conference in order to be different rather than just throwing a series of slides up. Well, at that point, though, you're, you're an entertainer. I, that's what I think. Right. I think of the person yeah. in an entertainment role versus a leadership or management role, for sure. Yeah. I, and one of my favorite moments at our conferences is I try to explain about email and about the need for brevity. And I tell people about the email I got with 12 paragraphs uh, from a listener. And uh, in the 11th paragraph, there were five sentences. And the fourth sentence was a question. And that was the only question in the email. And it started out with, Mark, I really need your help on something. And then he proceeded to tell me this long story. And three quarters of the people in the room get the right answer to the question I posed to them. When I'm reading this 12 paragraph email in the 11th paragraph in the fourth sentence, when I get the question, what do I immediately have to do when I read the question in order for me to answer it? And three quarters of the room goes, oh, that's easy. You have to go back and read the entire story again because you have no context. The bottom line didn't come up front. And so therefore, you don't know what was important and what wasn't important because you didn't know what the context was. If you don't deliver bottom line up front, particularly as you move further up the organization, you are going to have people wondering, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And without context, they're not going to know how to respond to you. And if you're wondering why people are hanging back, staying in neutral, not engaging, it's because you didn't give them the bottom line up front. They don't know what you're telling them, what it means. Right. It's dangerous. It's like that old joke that starts off with, you're driving a bus, you go to the first stop and five people get on. You go to the next stop, Three people get on, two people get off. You go to the next stop, ten people get on, three people get off. You go to the next stop, five people get off, right? And the punchline is not how many people are on the bus at the time. The punchline is, what's the name of the driver? <laughs> yeah, I've also heard it as, how many stops did you make? Or how many people are on the bus? And people say, oh, I've done the math and there's... There's seven people on the bus. And so, oh, well, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. There were 20 people on the bus to start with. Right. right? Yeah, you, you literally have no context, right? Yeah, I like the, yeah. Way I, the way I did, I like it because it, the whole point of talking about numbers, it, it kind of implies a context that it's about numbers. And, and it's the same right, with the email exactly. you got, right? Somebody's telling you a story. You're trying to figure out where they're going with this. And you start picking right. up on clues. And then you get to the actual question in the 11th paragraph. And he's like, oh, I got it wrong. I yeah. got to go back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got yeah, and that feeling of I got it wrong. I, I you know, the story that he was telling me, that feeling of I got it wrong is not helpful for the listener, for me, the reader. And I don't know. I mean, we've hesitated, right, Mike? We've talked about this before about the effective presenter conference, about teaching people how to present. We've been asked for it. We'd love to do it. But the fact is, it's enormously hard 
day or even two days of training to deliver because it requires people presenting, which is hard to do uh, in terms of having big enough groups and be and keeping it budget wise palatable for people. But one of the things that I would say over and over and over again that almost no one gets in presenting is it's about the audience. It's about the listener. Mastering your content is not as important is not important if when you deliver it and you are a total master of it, you can answer questions seven ways to Sundays. You're mastering your content is something that people can teach you. And so they do teach you that when in fact, the gold standard, the platinum standard, the perfection standard of presenting is the audience, the audience, the audience. And to your point, right? If the audience is thinking it's about one thing and then you turn, turn on them and say it's about something else, they get irritated and they become distant from you and they can't hear your next point. The problem with the strategy of presenting in a way that makes sense to you folks is you're not the audience. Okay. It's more difficult for the listener to hear a story, to listen to a timeline. It's easy for you to present it that way. In fact, if you read, I think it's Richard Saul Werman in Information Anxiety, he lists the five ways that you can organize something in humankind. And of course, one of them is by time, right? But it's more difficult for the listener and I know I've said it before. I used to think it was Peter Drucker that actually said it, but I discovered that somehow I turned his words around. And so I've actually said communication is what the listener does. The listener, the audience, your teammates and your boss in in a meeting start with a blank picture in their minds and add things up as you talk. If you give them the most important things first, it helps him or her build up a more accurate picture. Here's another example that, that, um, Wendy shared, right? I was talking to Bob and the phone rang. I answered the phone and it was our number one customer asking me about his latest order. I checked it on the computer, but it wasn't showing. So I had, I said I had to call back. Then I looked in the computer in the warehouse and I still couldn't see it. So I talked to Jane and she looked on her computer and the order wasn't on there. Right now, of course, when I'm telling this story, I'm trying to create the experience that I had of little bit of concern and where's the order, you know, uh, number one customer and so on. So I talked to Jane. She looked on her computer. The order wasn't on there. She found it on the pre-orders database. It looks like no one sent it through to production. And as Wendy so rightly asks right now, do you know what the problem is or what is expected of you? If you're listening to this story, I have no clue. None whatsoever. Right. I mean, it's an interesting story, but I don't care. I don't care what you did. And, and by the way, when I hear these kinds of things, I did this and then I did this and I did this, except from the fact that we call that the dude, where's my car Chinese drive through way of communicating. And then, and then, and then, and then it's all about you. It's not about the listener. It's not about the audience. And more importantly, it comes across as defensive that you're telling everybody how hard you have been working on this clearly, apparently a problem because it doesn't sound like a success. And of course, by the way, this story goes on to the person says the order is due tomorrow. It'll take three days to make. We haven't started because we didn't have it on the production base. I don't know what to tell the customer. Right. I mean, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to tell me something about how inefficient our processes were or how you were surprised it was in pre-orders. Yeah. Okay. And then I have to go back through and think of everything, just like my story about the email, right? Contrast that, though, with I need some guidance on what to tell our number one customer. We found out that an order due tomorrow isn't in production and will be at least three days late. 
I've started the order now, but I don't know what to tell him. And I promised I'll call within the hour. Do you need to know what happened, everything that happened up until it in order to help me? So folks, even if you're one of those people who organize your thoughts into a timeline, I can't imagine that you think the second example, the contextual example, the listener-based example, the bottom line up front example, I can't imagine you don't think that's a better method. Yeah. And I can promise you this, if you think your way is better, you're not an executive or you're not briefing other executives. Because how many times, Mike, how many times have we given somebody, we've been talking to a client, we put together some analysis for them, we sit down for a meeting and we're the only ones in the room other than the, the, the chief, the, the senior person in the room who knows what's going to happen the moment she gets the deck, is she going to turn to the last page and see what the bottom line is? Exactly. What are the recommendations and how much is it going to cost? Every time. Okay. You know, you see that 500 times, you're like, okay, I better get to the bottom line up front. Yeah. And the cool part about the technique, if you put the bottom line up front, often what was a, an hour long meeting becomes 10 minutes because the boss says, yep, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Uh, no need to go through the details. Thank you. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, the pre-wire helped there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Look, folks, when, you, when you're in the audience, when you know what you're being asked to do, which of course, when you're in the audience, you are being asked to do something, which is listen to understand. When you know what you're being asked to do, in other words, what to listen for in order to understand what, you know what information to listen for, and that means you're going to be better at making decisions based on the questions you're asked or the input the other person needs. So you've got to start talking bottom line up front when you brief, period. Thanks, everyone. That's it for part one. We'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.